You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. You're listening to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you for subscribing on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Himalaya. My name is David Rommel. I hope everyone is staying safe and, and finding ways to stay productive and engaged. I know it's a tough time for a lot of you, and I appreciate you taking a few moments from your day to listen to this show. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I know it can be an anxiety-filled time for a lot of you, and if you ever feel the need to just talk to someone, you can always reach out to me via email or Twitter. You don't have to feel alone or overwhelmed with everything that's going on, and if you just need a, somebody to bounce ideas off of or talk about anything, if you just want to get into it on the phone about the heat or the show or anything, I'm, I'm available. And I, I do hope that uh, if you ever feel the need to take me up on the offer, that you'll be more than happy to do so. Uh, I, I am always available. So just send me an email. I will try and get in contact with you as soon as I can. I've got things to do here at the house. I've got uh, time to spend with my family and with my son and everything. But at the same time, I know a lot of you might want to just talk to somebody if you ever feel the need to kind of break out of your environment for a little bit and you want to just chat over the phone. I am uh, I'm here. But you're probably here to listen to basketball talk, so I'll be getting to that, of course. The last segment of the show will be a long conference call from Myers Leonard. Obviously, I posted a couple of shows earlier in this week where I was able to talk to Myers one-on-one, so please feel free to check those out if you haven't already. But on Thursday, the Heat made Myers available to media members through a conference call, something they seem willing to do regularly during this hiatus. The day before, I posted a show with interviews from Eric Spolstra and Goran Dragic, and I'll continue to post shows whenever they're available. I included the Myers call because I I think most of you still want to hear from your favorite players, so I did want to include that. Some of what he says is similar to things he and I spoke to, But he also does go into some more details about his passion for gaming and why he prefers Call of Duty, as well as some other basketball-related subjects. So just felt like it should be included. It makes the show a little bit longer than average, but I provided the entirety of the uh, conference call for your benefit, and hopefully you'll appreciate being able to hear from Myers as he's asked by some of the media members around town, uh, you know, just some particular questions about his life during the hiatus, how he's get staying ready, his injury, and of course his gaming, as I mentioned before. I, I didn't feel the need to throw in any questions there. I let some of the other media's members just kind of get their questions in because I had been lucky enough to talk to Myers just a few days before, so I didn't think there was anything pressing that I needed to ask him about, but it was still a good conversation, so hopefully you'll enjoy that. I'll also talk about a couple pieces from The Athletic, one of which refers to Kelly Olenek's contract situation. But I'll start off with this piece written jointly by Sam Amick, my former guest over at Locked on NBA, as well as Josh Robbins, who covers the Orlando Magic for the site. And they went about picking the best players to wear every number in league history. So basically, the best player to wear number zero, sorry Myers, you didn't make it, the best player to wear number one, two, etc. The reason I'm bringing it up on this show is because when it came to jersey number three, Sam and Josh picked Allen Iverson over Dwayne Wade. Here's what they had to say about it. The combination of AI's smallish stature, endless swagger, and dizzying style made him one of the most influential and entertaining players in the history of the game. In all, he was a Rookie of the Year, an 11-time All-Star, three-time first-team All-NBA selection, four-time scoring champ, 
and one-time MVP. Dwayne Wade was a close second. Honorable mentions from Sam and Josh include Dennis Johnson, the Hall of Famer, Chris Paul, the future Hall of Famer, Drazen Petrovic, who unfortunately died very young in the midst of his NBA career, and Ben Wallace, as well as Dwayne, of course. I was flabbergasted. Um, I uh, <laughs> This is obviously a tough time for a lot of us to generate content and to come up with topics that we think are entertaining. I understand what Sam and Josh were trying to do here. It was a fun exercise. It is a fun exercise. It's interesting. I also think it's absolute horseshit. I, I, <laughs> I have such a problem with Iverson being selected over D-Wade. And I know for those of you who will be hearing, look, you're listening to the show. More than likely, you're strong Heat fans. I am not the world's biggest Dwayne Wade fan. If anything, I think that's become pretty apparent over the years. I've been critical of Wade's personality at times. I've been critical of Wade's leadership. I've been critical of Wade's even post-retirement ceremony. A lot of things that he's done over the course of the career has just not exactly been, well, things that I like about a player or person. And that's fine. But I will say that as far as his playing style is concerned, he was a much better player than Allen Iverson will could ever be. I, I just I do not understand the fetishization, and I use that word pretty strongly, of Iverson. And it's it's so bizarre to me. I look, I was watching basketball. If you listen to my show a couple weeks ago where I talk about my fandom and things of that sort, in '96 I was already very well established as a, a basketball fan. The Heat were kind of coming into their own, obviously, with Alonzo Mourning, and they had just acquired Tim Hardaway, or they would in the 1996 season when Iverson was drafted. It was also the return of Michael Jordan for his second three-peat uh, of, of titles. It was a very strange era as far as what the game was like, very different than it is today, for obvious reasons. And, and I think with Iverson, he came at just the right time there in between the the era of Michael Jordan, the era of Kobe Bryant, and of course, following that, the era of Dwayne Wade as the best shooting guards. Iverson was small, 6'3", I think is what he was listed at, or six feet. I mean, it, it was, either way, it was uh, an exaggeration. He was probably under six feet. He was, I'm sorry, he was listed as six feet. Uh, he was, he also listed at 165 pounds. He was small. There's no denying that he did a lot for his limited size. I, I know the the comment that a lot of players and media members have said over the past is that pound for pound, nobody was more impactful than Allen Iverson. I didn't get it. Watching basketball at that point in time, I, I really didn't like Iverson's style. The crossover was fine. I thought a lot of it was a carry, similarly to the same kind of complaints we have nowadays about James Harden. Uh, I think... A lot of what Iverson did was just put up a lot of shots on teams that didn't necessarily have a lot of talent. I also think that he got to the free throw light a lot, and I think a lot of what he did do was kind of try to draw fouls, kind of flop a little bit because of his size, because of the fact that he was so undersized. It looked like he was getting a lot of contact, etc. But that just that wasn't the kind of fan I was at that time. I, I mean, look, when you look at those Heat teams, they were about not pushing for foul calls, about fouling as much as possible, about defending at a high level, about just kind of putting your head down, fighting through it and figuring a way to, to you know, get the most out of every talent, that every bit of talent that you had and, and find a way to win. 
Iverson was different. He was flashier. He was kind of a ball hog. He put up a lot of shots, as I said. Uh, he played a lot of minutes. And so I, I just I never really liked his style, to be 100% honest with you. And I, I know that one of the points that Sam and Josh bring up in that piece is that he was very influential. Yeah, I, I suppose he was, but I, I'm not sure why he was so influential. And again, I, I think a big part of it was the fact that when you look at Michael Jordan, he retired in 98. He came back a couple of years later with the Washington Wizards, obviously. But by that point, Iverson was already a pretty established player. Kobe Bryant wasn't the player that he was at that point in time yet. And so there was a need to kind of fill in the gap as far as the great scoring guards and the great two guards. Iverson fit the bill pretty well. I mean, he was different. He was small. He did play his ass off. I will absolutely give him credit for that 100%. But as far as the shooting and everything else is concerned, like we have this vision of him being this great scorer. He played a lot of minutes. Like I'm talking a lot of minutes. I mean, he averaged almost 40 minutes per game, if not more, during a lot of those early years of his career. Something that's unthinkable in today's NBA. He averaged, over the course of his 16-year career, 41.1 minutes per game. That's ridiculous. Like, there is no player in today's league that plays 41 minutes per game, not unregularly like that. And that he averaged 26.7 points per game during the course of that career is fine. His you know effective field goal percentage of 45% is fine as well. He didn't shoot the two very well, mostly because he took a lot of mid-range jumpers. And getting to the rim was not as easy for him because of his size. He did have some flashy dribbling moves, etc. He was also... a okay three-point shooter it's like you know he shot 31 percent over the course of his career i think we kind of see him as being a very prolific three-point shooter because we've seen some big shots from him from downtown over his career but i think it's a, an exaggeration i mean in the 2002-2003 season he shot 27 percent from three at a point in time when he was taking almost four attempts per game uh, the following year was 29%. following year was 30%. And on and on. Like He was just... He was not always a very good shooter. And I think we just kind of tend to think of him as being a great shooter. But that was not the case. Um, I, and I just... I compare his minutes... I'm sorry. You compare his scoring, which is what he's best known for, per 36 minutes. And his numbers are very, very similar to Dwayne. Uh, look... Allen Iverson averaged 23.3 points per game for 36 minutes. So did Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade shot 48% from the field. Iverson shot 42%. He shot 44.8% from two-point range. Dwayne shot 50% from two-point range. Dwayne averaged 5.7 assists per 36 minutes. AI averaged 5.4 when he was the primary ball handler on those teams. AI averaged 1.9 steals per game. If you want to make any kind of issue about Iverson's defense, he did get a lot of steals, mostly because he was just, well, he wasn't a strong on-ball defender because of his size. He was going to get bullied by a lot of guards. He did play passing lanes. He was very, very quick. And so he did pull away with a number of steals, slightly better than Dwayne. Dwayne finished with 1.6 steals per game for 36 minutes. And when it comes to blocks, forget about it. AI could never get blocks the way that Dwayne did, who is the best blocking guard under six foot four in NBA history so it's not even close in turnovers AI has a slight edge of 3.1 turnovers per 36 minutes Dwayne at 3.3 3. 
So their numbers are very, very similar. And Iverson actually played less games over the course of his career. Dwayne played more games, even as an older player. Um, he also won three championships. I try to minimize how important championships are in any kind of discussion because I think there's so much that goes into it. I mean, Dwayne was the best player in the world in 2008, 2009, didn't win an MVP, didn't get a championship. So I, I think it's kind of unfair to make that comparison. Uh, but they used, Sam and Josh used uh, Iverson's MVP campaign, which I think is also a little unfair because, you know, who knows what the other players, what the rest of the field looked like that particular year and why he dominated that field. Maybe he was able to do a lot with a little. Maybe he helped carry a team to the NBA Finals the way he did. I, I just, I look at Iverson's overall impact and, and maybe maybe I'm misremembering and I can't help it. I mean, this is all I've got is my perception of things. And I know there are a lot of media people who are younger than I am probably that were growing up in an era of Iverson and seeing Iverson play and thinking, man, that guy's a badass motherfucker. I was not one of them. I was looking at those games and, and kind of watching them and going, Jesus Christ, what the hell is he doing? Like, why is he flopping? Why is he falling all over the place? Why is he taking that ridiculous shot? I just didn't like his style of play. I really did not. And, and, and it's not to say that I don't like Iverson. I think Iverson is, off the court, much more real than D-Wade is. Like, I, I think there's just something sincere about him, who he is, and, and the kind of guy he, he was coming up out of his situation to become the player he was. I, I tip my hat to him. A hundred times out of a hundred. I also just never really liked his style of play. It did not think too highly of his impact. And if you look at, like if you look at, to me, one of the things that I've always used as my barometer for what a superstar is, it's a guy who can change the course of a game. And both of them do have that ability. Both D. Wade and Iverson do. But Dwayne could do it defensively. Something Iverson could never do. And I think you have to absolutely give credit to Dwayne for that. I don't know. I might be wrong. I, I, I mean, it's subjective. Uh, Sam and, and Josh didn't have anything other than their own interpretation of things. They use whatever statistics they want to. They weigh them however they want to. If they want to take into consideration the fact that Iverson was a great scorer, well, as we pointed out, as I just pointed out right now, his scoring wasn't all that great in comparison to Dwayne, so much as just he played a lot of minutes and he got a lot of opportunity to put up a lot of shots. And he didn't put he didn't hit a lot of those either, not as many as Dwayne did. So I, I'm not sure what the criteria is. It's a lot of these arguments are so subjective. They're fun. I just didn't like Iverson's style, and I thought that Dwayne was a much more impactful player, a hundred percent. Like even when you look at conversations about the best two guards, the best point guards, etc., Iverson's not in there. Like I mean, Iverson is a fun player, that an impactful player that a lot of guys growing up appreciated his style of play. He had tattoos, baggy shorts, he had cornrows, whatever. I mean, those things really did count, like, as far as uh, off-the-court interpretation. Unfortunately, there was a lot of racism tied into the view of Iverson and, and how he wore those shorts, that he was, quote-unquote, thug culture, basically a, a coded message for saying he was a little too black for some white fans that couldn't appreciate the league as much. And, and I think that's totally unfair. Like, that... Again, to Iverson's credit, he was who he was regardless. Like, he was going to be the guy who grew up in those streets from Virginia. And he that was just who he always was, regardless of the fact that he was making a lot of money in the NBA. And uh, I, I just, as far as his on-the-court personality was concerned, or his style, not even his personality, just his on-the-court person, you know, style of play, I wasn't a fan. I think he was a little overrated. 
and I don't think he's viewed historically all that great. So I'm very surprised that he was rated better. Maybe there's some kind of personal bias against Dwayne Wade. I'm not sure. Either way, I, I, I don't feel like I'm biased towards Wade. I don't feel like I'm biased against Iverson. I just look at their perspective of, you know, the kind of actual numbers they put up and, and whether or not each of them had a greater impact. I don't know. Maybe they're weighing more of the off-the-court stuff for Iverson. I just I have a hard time with it. I just think that Dwayne was by far a better player, and I don't think that's particularly close. Like I think Dwayne is a much better player than Iverson. Iverson is well below. You could probably make an argument that Chris Paul is a more complete player than Allen Iverson is. I just it's hard for me to kind of gauge that because I think Iverson was so much more prolific. He just does he does things differently perhaps better than Chris Paul does as far as his offensive scoring is concerned. But Chris Paul is better passer, better playmaker, better defender by a long stretch. I, I just, to me, it's apples and very different oranges, and it's just hard to make that comparison. But either way, as far as, as Wade and, and Iris are concerned, two undersized guards who did the most that they possibly could, and I think Dwayne was overall a much better defender, a very prolific scorer in his own way, which just didn't get as many opportunities. He played with more superstars over the course of his career in Shaq. And then, of course, the big three era, I think it was a little different for, for him. And, and he did not, I'm sorry, he did achieve far more team success than Iverson ever did. So uh, it was very different eras, very different styles of play, perhaps. But I think Wade was the better player. So maybe you disagree if you do. Send me an email, send me a text, send me a DM, whatever you think is more uh, more effective, and I'll try to respond the best I can. Coming up next, I'll talk about Kelly Olenek's contract for next season and play Myers-Leonard's most recent conference call. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball bench, pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let it get you down. Stay sane, stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. Video poker might not be your thing, but if you still need a fix, they've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right, they have professional dealers at their tables live on site 24-7. Your favorite squad is sidelined because of the pandemic? Don't even sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of shifting odds on political bets. Ugh. So you can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they play fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. segment where I'll continue talking about a recent piece from John Hollinger who wrote for The Athletic about player and team options for the 2020-21 season whenever that might happen. Uh, At this point we're not sure what free agency is going to look like this year. 
the season might get canceled outright. Uh, it might start up again later this year. Free agency is going to be very, very difficult to, to kind of predict. Um, there will be salary cap implications, I think, for a, a long time. Uh, and we're just we're not sure at this point what's going to happen because, well, there's just there's so many different things that could play out. I mean, it looks like the league is going to be losing a whole heck of a lot of money. Something I'll talk about in an upcoming show is the impact of players potentially losing some major money as far as their contracts are concerned because the current collective bargaining agreement allows uh, team governors and owners to excise a clause where they can withhold pay for players. And if that's the case, uh, they'll probably do so because they want to make sure they retain as much as money as, as much money as possible. So the league in general is going to lose a lot of money. Players are going to lose money. Uh, that impacts how much teams have as far as money is concerned to throw at players in free agency it impacts what players do as far as you know their potential free agency like you know Myers mentioned to me that he, he's confident he's going to find another contract to play he may not have a lot of options he's a very good player I think that can do a lot and I think everybody likes his presence in the locker room and things of that sort but if you have the option of spending 20 something million dollars to sign a superstar or splitting some of that money and then getting a player like Myers you may not choose the player like Myers you may choose to pay him as little as possible and that that might limit his options so it's it's going to be interesting slash bad to see how that's going to change free agency and, and how that might impact players in the future but one player who has a team option, and Hollinger explained it in his piece, was Kelly Olenek. Uh, he has a option, a player option, for $12.2 million, basically, with up to $1.4 million in incentive, something that we've seen from Kelly in past years where he can play a certain number of games or minutes and achieve those bonuses, incentives. Uh, they don't count towards a salary cap, so it's a little different. And Hollinger writes this about Kelly Olenek. Uh, Olenek has his share of fans around the league, but they view, view him more as a third big on a good team rather than as a centerpiece. Thus, it's hard to see how he gets anything close to $12 million in free agency this summer. None of the teams with cap room would appear to be in the market for a veteran center at that price. Even if they were, it's highly questionable whether Olenek would be their first choice. And so Hollinger goes from player to player looking at whether or not he thinks that they'll exercise their team or player options. And in Kelly's case, he believes that he will, that he will stay with Miami next season for the $12.2 million rather than test free agency. It's a fair assumption. I think Kelly is going to be making a lot of money. And again, because of the salary cap situation and the projections that will be very limited as far as whatever money teams have to offer next season and maybe even beyond that who knows what kind of things we have i think the projections are kind of showing that next summer or whatever this summer whenever free agency does happen if it does happen is going to be a very tight one for teams uh, as much as i think a 15 to 16 million dollar projected cap drop from 105 million to 89 million i think i saw those numbers we're still kind of figuring that out. I don't think there's anything clearly established right now because, well, we're still in the midst of it. We've, as I'm recording this, we've been away from basketball for just over three weeks. It feels like an eternity, and uh, it, it has not been. And so I don't, I don't know that's fair to kind of start assessing 
what teams will be able to do later on this summer when there's no clear, uh, you know, concise picture right now. If a miracle were to happen and basketball were to resume in May or June, they could finish out the regular season, they could play out the playoffs, um, and they could recoup some of that money, then maybe things won't be as dire. But at this point, it does not look like that's likely, at least not from my perspective and from a lot of the reports that we're seeing from people who are paid a lot of money to figure these things out. So back to basketball, as far as Kelly is concerned, he has the option of exercising his player option, taking $12 million this year, and then kind of seeing what he has to do next season. And, and I think that's, you know, what's what's the market for Kelly Olenek at this point? I know some of his toughest critics, guys that listen to this show regularly, or people that listen to this show regularly, um, might not like Kelly's chances of making a lot of money. I think Hollinger, I think, is pretty well established, and he knows a lot of what the league thinks about Kelly. And to say that he has fans out there, I think it's pretty fair. I think what Olenek can do as a ball handler, as an okay defender, as a floor spacer, those things matter to teams, and he is a good, talented stretch big, kind of along the same lines as Myers Leonard, although a little different as far as their overall defense and impact and that side of the ball is concerned. But, uh, you know, what's, what could Olenek make? Like, is he is he willing to collect the 12 million this year and then following that take a chance at a four for 20 maybe? Like, that seems about right. I, I, I just, I don't know how much more one season will go just showing what Kelly Olenek can do. I think the book is out on Kelly. He's good at a lot of things. He's also a little inconsistent. He can have great games. He can have really terrible games. And I think if you view that as the sum totality of his career, I don't know why you'd throw a lot of money at him. So I don't know how much more than 5 to $8 million a year he'd get paid. Like some team could throw money at him. But I don't know that any team is looking at Kelly as a savior, as a missing piece. Like, He's a very good player. I, I do like his impact. I think this team is, and I've said this a number of times, this team is better when Kelly plays well and is confident. Um, but I still don't know what you can get out of Kelly elsewhere. Like, what team is going to say, well, we're going to pay Kelly $10 million to be our starter? I don't, I don't know that that's a good choice. He's still a little undersized for the, the five. He's still a little too big and slow for the four again good floor spacer solid defender maybe but I, I just don't know that he has a clearly defined role and so that's a little tricky maybe some team can find a way to maximize his impact to maximize what he can do on the floor uh, they can find him with the right personnel if I, I feel like although the numbers bear that it has been a positive net rating as far as playing alongside Bam Adebayo, that's as good an option as you're going to get. I don't think you can pair Kelly with a better center, a more versatile defender in Bam and hope for anything better than that. So if, if it doesn't work alongside Bam Adebayo, I'm not sure who it would work alongside. So I just don't see a lot of options for Kelly Olenek and not a lot of money to pay for a player that might not do anything particularly well or not well enough to warrant getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money. So I, to me, I think if he opts out, maybe he can get a little bit more than that five per year average, five million per year average. Maybe he could get six to eight. Is four for 32 or three for 24, let's say. Is that better than collecting 12 this year and then maybe going five for you know 25 the following year or four for 20 the following year? He's still young. 
he's, he's going to age well because you know he's lost a lot of weight. He stayed in great shape, and it's not like he's getting a whole heck of a lot of playing time anyway. So four for twenty plus the twelve million next year, whenever that happens, that's thirty-two million more that he can make over the next two contracts, as opposed to opting out and then trying for. 2025 like I, I mean I just don't know that he's gonna get a, a combination worth more than 32 million dollars so I just I would think that he could double down on himself try to have a very positive year next season whenever that takes place and hopefully he'll can you know go and test the market somewhere and, and make a lot of money I just I also see that he's probably not gonna be part of Miami's plans beyond next season like he, he's gonna play next year he might get traded uh, at the trade deadline because he'll be an expiring contract. I just don't see him being a part of this team beyond that. Uh, I, I'm just not—I'm not sure what's going to happen with Myers Leonard. Um, talked to my former co-host Wes Goldberg, and uh, he seems pretty confident that Myers has a option to go to the Golden State Warriors. And if that's the case, then maybe maybe they hang on to Kelly Olynyk next year. It'd be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Um, either way, it's an interesting kind of look ahead to Kelly and whether or not he'll opt out there. And uh, and I think uh, Hollinger's right on the money there because I just don't see him being able to collect anywhere near $12 million or anywhere near uh, a collected amount close to what he's probably going to get over the rest of his career. So coming up next, I'll be playing that Myers-Leonard conference call for you. You're listening to Locked on Heat. episodes of Locked on Heat on MLA as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and a review, especially if it's a good one. Again, this is my call from earlier on Thursday with Myers Leonard. He talked about gaming. He talked about what he's doing during the hiatus, uh, how he's trying to stay in contact with other players, why Call of Duty is a better game for him than NBA 2K. All in all, an interesting conversation, and I'll continue to play these as they're available. So here's Myers Leonard. And of course, all the COD that you're dominating the world with, and you're obviously putting a very, a very positive vibe out there, and everything that you and your wife post on social. And, and I'm curious how you handle the dark moments too, because I mean, we all are dealing with something right now. How are you dealing with that? What happens if we don't come back till this? What happens if the season's over? What happens if you know I'm, I'm going to be a free agent in July? Is that going to happen? Like you know, how do you deal with with that side of it as well? Got it. You know what? So uh, I'm sure at some point during this call, um, we'll hopefully jump into the the positive side. But I don't. I, I certainly can't blame you for asking uh, about this portion. Um, you know what? The easiest way to describe it is that there's a couple different things. Number one, I am so accustomed to getting up going to the arena, whether it's for practice, shoot-around, or later in the day, a game. And so, um, just by being a creature of habit, it's, it's a very weird time for me right now. Uh, I, would, I would say that I have, um, to be completely honest, taken full advantage of, I guess, what you'd call a little bit more free time. Uh, but also, I mean, I absolutely love the game of basketball. I absolutely love being a part of the Miami Heat and the Miami Heat culture. Um, I've grown very close to 
trying to, uh, I guess, show people how much I care and my willingness to work and, uh, you know, to try to always bring that positive energy to the locker room. And I, I, I hope that even the media, hopefully you guys could attest to that, that, you know, I, I, I try to always bring the positivity and the, the willingness to win and just everything. You know, I, I, I don't want to continue just to uh, keep going on here, but, but that, that's how I feel. And, and so I do miss that, you know, because I, this has been a very special year for not only me, but obviously for our team. And, and uh, so, so that's where I'm at right now in terms of the, the, the professional side of things, not, not, not being around it. Well, to, to follow up, there is a positive side. And you, like I said, you and your wife, there's very, you, you don't hide much from the world. And you're out, you're various mm-hmm. out there for a reason. Is it even more of a concerted effort to put more of you out there right now just because? the world needs sunlight wherever it can find it right now, and if it's going to be from you two, then so be it. Is, that, is, is it almost like you two are focusing more on putting even more of yourselves out there than normal? Absolutely. Uh, at the end of the day, I can truly say from my heart that my wife and I are ultimately trying to impact people in a positive way, whether that's with our time, whether that's with social media content, whether that's with uh, a donation, whatever it may be, it truly does come from our hearts and, and, and Another piece of it is, it's, I've heard, you know, from, from different people, and it's a very humbling um, compliment, by the way, that Ellie and I are very relatable. And, you know, people enjoy the content that we put out, and, and they can, you know, again, relatable is a great word, and, and I, it, it is very humbling. And then I'll, I'll just mention this. So Ellie and I sat down the morning after the, uh, the NBA suspension, and then obviously everything going on with, you know, the, the Masters is canceled. You know, no March Madness, but you know, the whole world seemingly is shutting down. So we sat down, we had breakfast, and we said, you know what? This is not a time to just sit around and do nothing. This is a time to take advantage of not only spending time together, but also doing things that we wouldn't normally have time to do, number one. And number two, how do we continue to impact people on a high level? And so we broke it down. Uh, as a couple and, and as individuals, you know, we, Ellie and I constantly talk about being quote unquote kind of hyphens. And what that means is I'm not only an NBA player, I'm a husband. Um, I have a passion for gaming and streaming on Twitch. Um, I'm very active in the community. Um, for my wife, you know, she's not only just, she hates the title NBA wife, and I don't blame her. She's a CEO, she's a very driven woman, very smart, um, loving wife, uh, trick shot master, pun master. I mean, you know, so again, it's all relatable. So basically, we sat down and, and we broke those things down, and it came down to a few different things. But I would say the main topics were, for me personally, streaming on Twitch and, and continuing to connect with fans. You know, I have a lot of people come in my chat and say, "Hey, Myers, thank you so much for you know not only the entertainment, but just being such a real guy and being willing to talk to your chat and answer our questions and be so interactive." And so I have that piece. Uh, of course, I've been involved in many, many different. Uh, charity streams and charity Call of Duty tournaments, which has raised well over 100000 probably $250,000 in total. Um, I was a part of Twitch Rivals Call of Duty event. I mean, it was, it's been awesome in in that portion of things. Uh, For Ellie and I, of course, continuing to to produce more content for our protein bar company, Level Foods. Uh, That's been doing so well. We're so thankful for all the support there. Um, you know, the emails, we got stuff coming soon with uh, video content. I mean, it's, it's been fun. And then the last thing is we are, we're starting
starting a podcast. Um, podcast number one is is complete. Uh, podcast number two is in the works, and number three and four are already um, kind of aligned in what we want to talk about. Now it's just finishing two and, and then jumping into three and four. So, um, yes, to answer your question, we absolutely sat down and said, okay, how do we take this time to not only better ourselves, but, but to put content out there during a time where, you know, it is a bit dark. You know, people are wondering, like, what the heck am I supposed to do with my time? You know, there's so many question marks in the air. And lastly, I'll say that I have I have some very exciting news. They will drop today. Unfortunately, I can't say it right now. But um, it's, it's all centered around uh, raising money and uh, a few other special events that, that I am um, creating uh, in, in a way to continue to help people during this uh, or this time where some people can't go to work, some people can't feed their families. You know, I, I'm, I'm constantly just trying to find ways to, to impact others. So there's a Myers Leonard long, long-winded answer, as usual, but uh, that's my best answer for you. Hey, Myers, Tyra. I hope all is well. Um, I heard you refer to the ankle uh, team's question, and I saw uh, in the athletic your comment there also that even now we wouldn't have been ready if games were to resume today. Can you please take us through that? Um, how does the ankle stand? Sort of where where do you stand with that? And in the hope of there being games, what's your timetable, and how are you able to rehab remotely? Got it. Um, okay, so um, there we have been granted access to, for the PT to see me, uh, Brandon, our head of uh, 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 physical therapy, and so it's been great to have him over two to three times a week. Uh, I do have a pool, you know, thankful for that, um, both for tanning and for rehab purposes, I should say. Um, but no, in all, in all seriousness, uh, we're able to use the pool uh, for, you know, uh, obviously the buoyancy of water allows for me to do some movements and such that I otherwise maybe wouldn't be able to do on the ground. But with that being said, not only have we done, uh, you know, footwork and agility and some bounding stuff in the pool, but we've also now uh, progressed to, to, to solid ground, which is which is huge for me. Um, I feel comfortable with a ton of agility stuff. Um, honestly, even, you know, just all the normal stuff in terms of um, uh, single leg jumps and, and on both on both legs, uh, bounding off at two feet, uh, all, the, all the normal uh, agility work that an NBA player would go through, I'm comfortable doing. So basically my best answer as to where I would be right now would be, I don't know, 90%, because the truth is, is I haven't shot a jump shot. I haven't tried to go up and dunk off one or two feet. Uh, I haven't had to guard a pick and roll, um, then, you know, there's a drop-off pass, boom, I go contest at the rim, now I'm boxing out, now I'm grabbing a rebound, now I'm slinging it down the floor, now I'm setting a pick and roll, I'm picking it, popping it, and I'm cashing a three. You know, I haven't had to do that. So uh, I don't know in terms of basketball shape. I'm certainly not there. And then in terms of basketball-specific movement and um, taking the physical demand of saying guarding a Joel Embiid and guarding a Sabonis, something like that, I don't know that I can do that right now. However, I do feel... Um, I do feel good. Um, the swelling is, is, is coming down every day as I'm able to just, um, you know, my body understands the, the load management and obviously the connection between literally the brain and my, and my body and my ankle. And now it just allows for me to do every, everyday life things totally normal. Um, like I said, a ton of these uh, drills and exercises totally normal. And, um, yeah, everything's, you know, I can do everything remotely. Um, I'm waiting on a bike to get here, which would be nice because uh, a stationary bike that we use at the arena so I can crank on uh, some cardio. But otherwise, I've done a ton of lifting. I've been a part of uh, some of the Zoom 
uh, Zoom virtual workouts with the guys. So it's it's been good. You know, I, I'm, I'm taking care of everything. I, I, I can say with, with confidence that I'm a true professional and, you know, I'm taking care of my work here at my house. And then to follow that up, I know it's a million-dollar question that no one can get answered and everyone is getting antsy, but what is it like for you to be in this limbo? It's one thing when you know a season is over and you move to your off-season routine. It's another thing, like you said at the top to Tim's question, when you're used to the regular rotation of going to shoot-arounds in games. But what's this limbo been like for you, sort of caught between a season or no season? I, I can say that it's been very weird. Um, very strange. You know, we, again, as most NBA players, we're very, you know, it's habitual for us. Get up, work out, you know, put up shots, even on off days. You know, like, it's very strange to wonder, well, when is the season going to resume? Is it going to resume? What, you know, should I give my body a little rest? Obviously, for me, I'm in a little bit of a different phase anyways because I'm still not 100% recovered from an ankle injury. So I was already going through that process myself. But I would say on the whole, it's very strange. But, you know, when you have a, a locker room full of guys like us that are that care and they understand, you know, how to be true pros and that approach it the right way, I, I fully anticipate that obviously it's, it's, a, it's weird for everyone in the league. But that I, I think that we would have kind of a head up on everyone else, a uh, leg up, excuse me, on everyone else because of who we are and how we operate at the Heat. So that's that's one thing. But I would just say that um, everyone needs to understand that basketball will resume when the time is right, when we are certain that everyone can be protected and healthy, whether that means playing, you know, starting practices and then playing with uh, no fans, playing with limited fans, whatever it is, the ultimate – um, you know, the number one priority, I should say, is everyone's safety. And that's just what it is. You know, people, um, you know, I'll, I'll be frank with you. I read UD's article in the Players' Tribune, and I loved it. No doubt about it. He's protecting the city, and he's calling it for what it is. People need to stay at home if they can. Are there circumstances where people can't? Sure. Is there ways to be careful and make sure that you can manage uh, in this crazy time? Yes. But. The, 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 the priority is everyone's, whether it's the staff, whether it's players, whether it's the fans, whomever it is, the ultimate uh, uh, reality we all need to come to is the, that everyone needs to be safe first and that we will resume everything once. And now, I'm not, I'm not in the league office. I'm not an owner. I don't know the ultimate. Uh, I don't have the answer. However, that's how I feel that, that safety is, is the utmost importance. Hi, uh, this is Dan Gartland from uh, Sports Illustrated. I'm working on it. I'm glad you mentioned the Twitch because I'm actually working on a, a magazine story about athletes who are using uh, Twitch at this time to connect with fans. Um, I'm wondering mm -hmm. what uh, what's uh, what appeals to you most and, and what do you enjoy most about streaming? Oh, man, let's see. I'm coming up on, I mean, I'm almost uh, 18 months, maybe even closer to two years in. Um, I absolutely love streaming on Twitch for a few reasons. Uh, number one, gaming is a passion of mine. It always has been ever since I've been a little kid. Uh, Call of Duty has always been my favorite game. And now this Call of Duty Modern Warfare uh, multiplayer was incredible. Uh, the campaign was incredible. And then now, uh, obviously, obviously, with the Battle Royale Warzone, um, it's been very, very popular. So, uh, number one, gaming is a passion of mine. Number two, uh, and maybe the most important, is the fact that I still get to interact with fans. And, and I do need that. Um, 
very authentic to me. I've built a very authentic and fun community. Um, I think people feel that they can come into my Twitch stream and get a real guy. I always say to them, I'm just a normal guy who happens to play in the NBA. And so, you know, uh, sometimes I'll end the stream with a Q&A or sometimes I'll just, you know, rattle off, you know, kind of some of the struggles I've had in my past and how I've dealt with dealt with those struggles. And, and ultimately, people say, Myers, thank you for being so open and honest. Uh, you know, I never thought an athlete would be willing to do that. And uh, I guess I'll mention, um, because it is, as I said earlier in a, during a question, very humbling compliment I got from a guy who streams on Twitch. His name's Cypher PK. And he was doing an interview, um, and they asked him, hey, there's been a lot of crossover with athletes coming to Twitch. Um, you know, you're successful in your own right. How do you feel about that? And who do you think has done a good job? He said, well, first of all, I think it's amazing. You know, and, and I would say personally, I think it's amazing. The fact that guys are gaming and, you know, interacting with their fan base, whomever. And then he followed up by saying, I think Myers Leonard is, is probably doing the best job of it. I, you know, I've seen some of his streams, you know, it's some things that seem simple maybe to <clears throat> the average person, you know, I have camera overlays and I have, you know, all of my PC specs and, and, um, you know, click through links for everything on my Twitch profile, like every, everything. And I'm very serious about it. It's the best way to put it. And so it was very humbling for him to say that I've built an authentic community and that I do interact with my chat and that, you know, I do take it seriously. And so that that's that that's another thing. And then lastly, it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a unplug for me, kind of a, a recovery type thing for me, both mentally and physically. Not only you know when I'm grinding physically during the season, I, I need to be able to sit down and get away and, and use uh, you know Norman Sex or whatever it is. And, and and a great way to do that is just gaming. And then the other piece of it is, is the mental piece, where I can just totally unplug, kind of from this NBA world, which can be a bit. Um, hectic at times and uh, you know I'm not only playing with friends I'm again I'm interacting with fans and I'm not looking at my phone which which doesn't seem like much but it, but it is you know people are constantly hitting you up you know wanting something needing your help needing something from you and so uh, it is those things being a passion it's interacting with the fans and, and building an authentic community continuing to grow in the space and then lastly it would be um uh, like I said, kind of a recovery modality of sorts for me. Um, and I, I, sh I guess I should say, uh, my, w my wife and I, we invested in FaZe Clan. Uh, they're the best esports team and content creators in the esports world. Uh, you know, I'm a part of that, so I love it. I, I'm very, uh, it's, it's, it's a very real thing for me. This is not just some one-off for Myers Leonard. I've, I've been I've been a, a part of kind of the esports, esports community. You know, I did the Fortnite Pro-Am last summer, you know, so... Uh, I'm more into Call of Duty now, but the point is, is it's a very real thing for me. Hey, Myers. Uh, it's Anthony from the Herald. Glad to hear you guys are doing well. Uh, question, to continue on the gaming front, um, obviously NBA 2K is a popular game um, for NBA players and athletes, but why do you think Call of Duty appeals to so many athletes? What about it kind of uh, appeals to so many of you guys? Got it. So, uh, I'll start by saying this. In my Twitch chat, you can you can have commands, so to speak, which is exclamation point. You can type in exclamation point height, for example, and it'll say, well, i got to be honest, it says the hammer is seven feet tall. So if someone's curious and they come in and they, they do a command, that tells them that I'm seven feet tall. Or, you know, so I literally have exclamation point 2K. It says, no, Myers does not play 2K. Uh, 
play 2K in real life. I'm not interested in playing basketball in my free time. Uh, I'm ultra competitive. I've always loved Call of Duty. But uh, on the whole, I think that guys just maybe like to get away from basketball, to be honest. There are some, it's one or the other, to be completely honest with you. This is the best way to put it. With NBA guys, they either are obsessed with 2K or they're not interested whatsoever. Um, and I'm one that's not interested in any way, shape, or form because that's what I do for a, a living. So um, I think that it just, I think that Call of Duty, among other games, appeals to guys because not only is it fun and competitive and you can play with your friends, see, that's the thing. If you play multiplayer, you can play with up to five other people. If you play Warzone, for example, the Battle Royale, uh, there's trios right now, so you can play with two other NBA friends or of your friends. So I think that's also one thing um, that probably is a is a reason for it. It's not only popular, but you can play with multiple people. Whereas with 2K, sure you can play against one person, but who wants to do that? I mean, we might as well, you know, build some awesome team and 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 try to get some whatever, get some wins. And one last thing for me, um, go back to, to go back two months. I know it's a long way back, and a lot of stuff has happened since then. But uh, it was a bad ankle injury. Obviously, was there was there concern when the injury initially happened that maybe it could be worse? I mean, was there a relief when you found out it was just a sprain, even though it wasn't really bad? Was there a sense of relief when you found out? Okay, maybe I'll be able to come back this season. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll just be honest. At the end of the day, Myers Leonard is about winning. Period, and I love it here. I really do. And so, would I have been able to return near the end of the regular season? My hopes were yes. You know, get some games under my belt and be ready for the playoffs. But let me just tell you, I don't know, cast it, do whatever you got to do. Myers Leonard is playing in the playoffs, period. Um, I love to win. Again, I love it here. Uh, you know, I, I, I love that they're about the right things. Not to, you know, not to throw shade at anybody else. Or, you know, I love it in Portland, too. But I've, I've felt a very... Um, special and unique connection here in Miami and I do I really feel as though I've impacted the locker room and I've impacted winning on a night to night basis and that feels good I'm ultra competitive and I care about people so um, point being uh, was there worry yeah sure I I, <laughs> I hurt the hell out of myself there ain't no doubt about it however uh, I was playing in the playoffs I guarantee it so uh, that's that's at the end of the day that, that's what I'm about, winning. And I, can, I, I would figure out the rest of rehab in the summer if that were the case. So, uh, you know, that's that's how I feel about it. That's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLMB or email me at lockdown.com. I'm David Ramil signing off. And thank you as always for your support. Yeah! Um.